she just looked at me and said, I'm sure you've got some bloody ADHD. And and that moment was like, what, you, what? what are you talking about? And um, so I then, of course, as you do, you Google it. You think, oh yeah, Jesus, actually that's, yeah, that could be me. On this episode of The Unconventional Podcast, I speak to Mark Gaysford, a father, a business owner, and a seriously engaging content creator. At 52 years old, Mark was diagnosed with ADHD, and in his own words, it completely changed the way he saw the world. I really wanted Mark on the podcast, and he's inspired me so much over the last three years with my own content. I hope you get as much from this episode as I did. Hi, Mark. How's things with you? Thank you very much for joining us today on the on the Unconventional Podcast. You are very, very welcome. Um, uh, for, for want of the cliche, but, but busy, mate. Honestly, it's so busy. And we've just decided to um, up sticks and move out of Kent for the first time in 20-something years and uh, move down to Hove near Brighton, um, where my folks are as well. So I've got all of that going on at the same time as well. So um, yeah, apologies if the phone rings during this as well, by the way, because it's just literally hot at the moment. But yeah, no, really busy, um, <laughs> but exciting and really good. That's, that's I've actually just seen that post, funnily enough. I literally went on LinkedIn as I was going, for, going to grab a quick drink before we jumped on here, and your post was right at the top of my feed. Nice. I'm and, glad of that because I haven't been yeah. doing much posting recently, so I'm falling down everyone's feed. <laughs> no, I, I tend to see yours, um, but um, it, I wondered where you were going. And obviously you, you put in the post there that everything's going up and it's probably the worst time to do it. But your reason for it, and that I kind of you can explain that in your own words, but your reason for it I think is just so important right now. I don't think there's enough of it, you know. I mean, I think, well, no, let, let me rephrase. I think we forget, don't we, how important family is, actually. Mm -hmm. And uh, my parents, um, you know, massively encouraged my brother and I to, you know, go out, live your life, don't worry, get, you know, move away if you want to move away, do whatever you want to do. And um, so we're kind of brought up like that. But, you know, as you start seeing them um, getting older, a uh, little more frail. My dad struggles to walk these days. Um, and so he's on a frame. And you just think, hold on. I mean, I know we're only in Kent. We're only an hour and a half, two hours away. But that's still, especially when they're getting to that age, it's still quite a distance. And so we're finding ourselves going down pretty much every weekend. And you get to the stage where you're actually never at home. You're either at work or you're down in Brighton. Yeah. You think, hold on, something's got to shift and change here. Yeah. Um, but it's important. You know, they're, they're, everything that they i mean i feel strongly about it everything they gave to me when i was growing up um it's the bloody least i can do um mm -hmm. to uh, not give back but be there for them as as um as they need it really so um so yeah we've made the we've made the decision we'll see what happens <laughs> uh, do you know what i i think you're making it for such for the right reasons um uh, my my mum actually uh, about it was about a year ago, but I think we knew probably for a couple of years previous she'd been going downhill. And she's only 67, um, which is no age, really. Um, but she got diagnosed with Parkinson's. Oh, yeah. Now, we're very fortunate that she... Um, we're, we're all local to each other. So my parents, my wife's parents, were all within sort of 10 miles. But then some friends of ours um, were recently talking about moving um, to Wales. And um, 
their parents have, have waited almost 40 years for a grandchild. They've only got one child themselves. So they knew it was literally, that was the only chance they had. Yeah. Um, and they've just been blessed with a grandchild. Uh, they're more my my pa- my mum and dad's friends and their son has given them a grandchild finally. And now they're talking about going to Wales. And we were having this conversation where, yes, fair enough, you can turn around and say, okay, we can go and stay at the weekend because it's a three-hour drive or whatever. But you underestimate the importance of that convenience of just being able to pop in for a coffee totally. and then go about your day. Because totally. they're not going to want their parents there every weekend. No. They've got their own life to live. And that's so the I, nice thing, you know. For me, it's just, a, a, you know, when I take the dog out for a walk in the morning, I'll probably pop in for a cup of coffee mm-hmm. and then I'll come home and, you know, when I'm working from home, I'll just, um, you know, crack on from there. But it's that it's those sort of small touch points that actually in a life where it's difficult to get out and be mobile and go here and go there is so important. So, um, yeah, totally get it. Totally yeah, get no, it. it is. Um, well, obviously, the reason that... Um, I wanted you on originally was because of things that have happened, I guess, in your life over the last two or three years that I have probably not only inspired me, but taken you in a, a, a different direction in terms of your own, the way that you see the world, I, yeah. I guess. Um, and for those that don't know, um, and we were trying to figure this out before we came on on live, um, you were you went through the process of um finding out about adhd later yeah. in life um and then obviously being diagnosed it wasn't and, you know the, the person who started it was actually olivia but um my right. co-founder and she just looked at me one day we've got a very honest relationship liv and i and she just looked at me and said i'm sure you've got some bloody adhd and and that moment was like would you what what are you talking about and um i so saw then of course as you do you google it you think oh yeah jesus actually that's yeah that could be me um and um and then you're on the path really at that point of of discovery um and it takes a while to get a diagnosis and i went i went private with the diagnosis just because the nhs take a a, you know age anyway to get anywhere and i thought well it was it was like 300 quid or something to get a a private diagnosis and i thought it's probably worth it because at least i'm you know once your brain starts going on have i am i is you know what's the impact of this you want to know as soon as possible so um did that and they and they just took one look almost and said yeah (laughs) you know yeah you've got adhd i've lived 52 years of my life how do I not know this already um and um you know it's, it's very subjective I don't look do a bum that you can get brain scans in fact we're one of our clients um is a an MRI and CT scan company and I was doing some filming with them and the guy said oh he said I've scanned my brain hundreds of times I can see my ADHD and you know whoa okay um and I, but I didn't do that it was all um you know conversation yeah. with a psychiatrist and they look back on your things like your school reports and that sort of stuff and um, they get your, your your nearest and dearest involved as well to sort of you know see what they think and how how your brain works, how you interact with people. Um, but yeah, it was pretty much one look and said, yeah, you've got ADHD. Um, and there was that moment when you know you it, it is it is huge, it is massive moment because you you then start thinking, okay, well hold on, I've lived fifty. How did I not know about this? And then you kind of go into that zone of 
okay, well, at least I know this is great, but also what have I missed out on in the last 52? What could have happened? What could have been if I'd known about this when I was at school? Um, but of course, I was at school in the in the early 80s and um, it, you know, it was really in its infancy back then, people even thinking about it and, and recognising it. Um, and all of my school reports, you know, could do better, must focus, you know, or, you know, lazy, all of these sort of things that you then... And this is the thing for me, you then grow up with those labels attached to yourselves, you know, lazy, 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 doesn't work hard enough, doesn't concentrate, not interested. And all of this imprints itself on your brain. Uh, and it's amazing the impact that that has, certainly as a child, but even as an adult, because you carry this shit around with you. Um, and every time you don't do something properly or you don't finish a project or, you know, you're you're beating yourself up saying, oh, it's just because you're lazy. Yeah, they were all right. So it damages your self-esteem as well. Um, so there is this big light bulb moment with um, with that diagnosis. Um, and, um, and they said to me, you know, do you want to try the meds? And I thought, well, I'm in for a penny, in for a pound. You know, seeing as you've told me this is it, I might as well give it a go and see what the impact is. And there's a, there's some messing around in that in that sort of area. You know what your what the best meds are, what um, levels, what you know. You, so you go through this sort of titration process of working out what what's best. Um, but I remember, I remember the the uh, the moment when I thought oh my god these meds are actually amazingly good and they're not for everybody don't get me wrong some people don't want to live life on meds for me there was a moment when I was listening I won't mention the name of the person but I was listening to probably the most boring person on the planet and I was hooked <laughs> on every single word they said and I thought I've never experienced focus like this in my entire life. There's something right. There's something going on here. This is great. Um, and, and 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 it probably took a year, eighteen months for me to really sort of find the right levels and the right meds. Um, but um, but yeah, you know, here I am now um thinking about myself in a very different way not beating myself up if if i don't get stuff done on time and you know and focus on it and all the rest of it um but recognizing it for the adhd that it that it is and that's not saying make using it as an excuse but it is that recognition of okay i know why mm -hmm. and i know now and, and i think this is still a learning phase of what i've got to do to to improve to get over that to complete a project to mm -hmm. um you know to, to get stuff started um to pay the bills to you know all that kind of stuff um you you don't beat yourself up as much and that's that's been the probably the biggest moment for me the biggest in positive impact mm. i guess knowing you went like you said there you went 52 years not having that and i guess during that period just thinking well this is just me and like you said beating yourself up for being lazy or and and taking those comments to heart that people would say to you must do better or doesn't focus or doesn't pay attention how did that if we sort of skip past score and then go into i guess the working world because at this stage i don't know how long you've been self-employed i assume you worked for someone at some point in your career i did um how did when you look back on that now what do you look back and think right, that made a lot of sense now why I didn't get on there or why I did get on there. What were those early experiences like? I, I, I'm a, I now know that nobody would want to employ me. <laughs> so, I mean, every, the, the moments of most pleasure, I guess, in the working world have always been when I work for myself. Um, but And when I'm working for other people, 
um, it, it, yeah, it's never gone as right as I would want it to have gone. Um, and I would have never, I, I never lasted that long, to be honest with you. It was almost like I, and again, this sort of self-esteem thing says, you know, at some point, Mike, you're going to get found out. Um, and so they they tended to be fairly short sort of stints of of, um, of working for other people. I mean, I, I you know, I get it. I'm Marmite. I'm not easy necessarily to get along with. I'm quite forthright. Um, if I think something's right or wrong, believe me, I'll tell people it's right or wrong. Um, and not everyone likes that kind of approach. And so, uh, yeah, difficult, I think, is probably the best way of describing it, working yeah. for other people. But, you know, I mean, I'm really really conscious of that now because I'm you know I don't work for myself now I work for all the people that work in the business and I am super conscious about my impact on those people um and you know when people talk about hiring for sort of culture and and to fit into the culture I've got to be really quite conscious of that when we recruit for ourselves as well because I piss people off. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very black or white. I'm very blunt. Um, my brain works quite quickly. I've got ADHD, so of course it does. Um, and I've got no, I've got no emotional regulation. So if it's here, it's out here before I've even thought about it, and that offends people. Um, so you know, people that work here have got to be a little bit hardy as well. And um, the ones that do stick around and stay, they get to know me. They know me for who I am. They don't take that kind of stuff. Personally personally um and yet i'm always constantly trying to sort of put the brakes on and stop saying what's in my head because i'm aware of the impact so you know whether you work for somebody or you work for yourself um there's still impact there um and i have to constantly consider that um but yeah no i'm i'm i'd largely say i'm, I'm unemployable now um people people just don't don't want me around <laughs> i think a lot of people that have become business owners in their lives would probably say that after a while um and i think there is a a a massive link isn't there between neurodiversity and entrepreneurship yeah um and i think is that because as a working culture we haven't really embraced those differences in people yet and we kind of still want people that we employ to fit especially in corporate companies, to fit a mould that we build. And then obviously people like yourself. And to be honest, me for so many years, I mean, I was so lucky in my career that I worked with people that just, they, they took the good and they tolerated the bad. Yeah. And I was very lucky. I worked for a couple that didn't and they lasted literally seconds. Yeah. But then the two big stints in my career in retail and then in the digital space where I spent 10 years plus, I look back on those now and think, Jesus, you really part with a lot of shit. Yeah. Because I was a nightmare. Yeah. Um, I I think it's the difference between macro and micro because, you know, with ADHD, I have no attention to detail at all. So having people around me that can pick up that and do the detail is brilliant for me. But um, there's two elements to this. There's, there's that sort of macro thinking, um, and there's also that real creative outside the box. There's there's always going to be a solution to something. We just need to think differently about it. Um, so I think that's why that there is that link between neuro, neurodiversity and, and entrepreneurship, because we think 10 years ahead. We think of the art of the possible. We'll come up with solutions that no one else would even consider um and then kind of work and with with the help of other people work back how we can implement and put that into place so um that's where that link is for me it's the creative thinking and and that sort of macro high level not high level you know forward thinking kind of um five years plus thinking as well 
you touched on the the point about working with with others, and I think anyone that's that's listening or watching this that knows you and live and that relationship that you have, yeah, I for the same reason I asked Odessa to come and work with me on Think Unconventional and and just the unconventional brand as a whole because yeah. one of the things I miss about employment is the people, yeah, and having those those different ideas around you and those because regardless of what position I was in I definitely didn't have all the answers I'd never had all the answers I might have been good at pulling strings and putting things in the right places but only if the input was there um, and that's what Odessa does I think for me uh, in, and in many ways puts me in my place when I'm not thinking straight or I get a bit emotional about something Too right. and I guess Liv does that for you absolutely yeah I mean it's yeah. a weird relationship and people often comment saying you guys are like a married couple and we are because it, in some ways it's as dysfunctional as that sometimes yeah. as well because we we you know we don't hold back with each other we'll we piss each other off probably more than more often than people would even think because she's equally not backwards in coming forwards um and um, but that just works for us. There is something there is something in there which is almost um, impossible to actually sort of really understand what it is. But it just it just works. We're we're very honest and open with each other. But but it comes from a position I think of ultimate respect. You know, we both respect each other, um, and we're happy to tell each other what we what we genuinely think. And she'll put me back in my box. Absolutely, yeah. And and I need that. So yeah. um, you know. I look at um, LinkedIn at the moment, and before we came on to onto this, you were talking about your relationship with LinkedIn and and how it's kind of um, over the last few months. And I I definitely agree with this. It, it's become a place that it's not quite what it was when we remember it back in back in the day. And it's definitely evolving. And I think there is an argument that you you really have to tailor your feed now to to kind of take out the stuff that affects you mentally. Yeah. Over the last year, actually, I would probably argue that your announcement, whenever it was, and you and I can't quite put our finger on when it was, but we were certainly connected and it and it inspired me. So it has to be within the last three years, say. Since then, lots and lots of adults have come out on social media saying that they've been diagnosed with autism or ADHD. And I'm massively tuned into that world because of our son and, and his autism. And that's what obviously has made me look at it in myself. But do you feel that we are in danger of it almost losing its importance because people, it's almost becoming a little bit of a buzz oh, yeah. thing, yeah, isn't it? I mean, I welcome the fact that people are, are, are talking about um, neurodiversity more, um, 100%. Um, but I think, and it goes wider than just the neurodiversity um, stuff as well. I think people are craving um, engagement and they'll almost say anything to get it. Um, and that's where it's going wrong for me now. Um, it's this sort of... Um, I mean, I've talked about this as well as a result of the sort of crying CEO stuff. You suddenly saw openly how manipulative um, some 
posts are and don't get me wrong i mean i work in marketing and advertising we are we by our very nature manipulate people to buy product or to work with companies so of course there is that but you don't want to see it so blatantly in your face it becomes offensive and i think that was a a tipping point for me where you just saw it for what it was there was sort of this fake authenticity for to manipulate us into sympathy and i it it absolutely triggers me i hate it with a passion because you know whatever i've done whatever I've said on LinkedIn um, has been true and genuine. I've never ever, I've never told a lie. I've always told, said what I thought, thought. There are moments in my life, you know, when I've done the No Friends video, that probably goes back 2019. That's true. You know, that's true. But what I tried to do with that video was provide a solution. So it's this is the situation that I'm going through that I'm experiencing. This is how it makes me feel, but this is what I'm doing about it. So it became and I think this is why it was successful. It became a little bit more inspirational. I'm in that position. I can relate to it. But look what Mark's done to try and sort that out for in his own life. I love that. I'm going to do the same sort of thing. So that's why I don't, you know, posts for the sake of sympathy are bad. Posts that come from genuine um, authenticity but provide inspiration through solutions. Brilliant. You know, absolutely. And then the other one was the ADHD one, um, which was, a, I mean, I was literally, it was raw. It was like, Jesus, I've just been diagnosed with ADHD. I don't know what this means, where I'm going, but I'm quite happy to talk about it because it's part of who I am um, and so um, and I wasn't craving engagement um, I just you know that's that's the way it is but these days I I'm, I'm almost at the point where I need to temper all of that stuff down because people will think wrongly that I'm just doing it for engagement and I'm not and the whole of the whole the, you know, the reason that I set up and I hate the phrase now, but the reason I sort of started the whole personal brand thing was based on a really simple premise. And that was people buy from people. If I allow people to get to know me, then a proportion of those people will like me and buy from me. Simple. That was that was it. That was the whole basis of of what I thought was personal brand back in the day. And then, you know, what's the best medium to allow people to get to know me? Video because people see you and hear you and you know and all the rest of it and i was you know and don't get me wrong I, we were incredibly fortunate that at that time um linkedin had allowed you very recently to start uploading native video the algorithm was all over video and promoting it and so it just happened to be an alignment of the stars and things went well that was that was not you know there was no thinking behind that it was just okay let's do this and see what happens and you know anyone who knew our liver and, my, and I, my content before them would have known that we probably had two or three years of real shit <laughs> that just didn't really go anywhere um because we were still learning and messing around it just happened to be the stars aligning at that particular moment and the algorithm working and all the rest yeah. of it so um but yeah i don't i just um it, it, it makes me cringe when I see some of these posts now that you can so blatantly see are um, just there for the for the vanity mm -hmm. metrics, really. What I love about what you do is you talked to you, you made such a big thing when it when it came out, uh, the no friends one, which was absolutely genius. Like I remember that. I remember every every moment of it. And then the ADHD one. What's happening at the moment, I feel, is that people are using monumental and as you used the term earlier massive events in their lives and just passing it off as a post just 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 sort of flippantly adding it into something what you've done you created this enormous event around it and put a real effort into 
not only talking about it, but actually talking about what you did to move forward from it. And it, it and that's what I think people resonated with. It wasn't just passed off in a in a in a simple worded piece of copy. You put a whole production together that actually had a purpose of helping other people. Yeah. And that and I think is for the me difference. that's important. For me that's really important because actually the process of making a video gives you the opportunity to think and reconsider and did that shot work? Did it have the impact? You know, what am I trying to what am I trying to say in this story? What's my what's my outcome? Because that process is, you know, I mean, the, the No Friends video actually didn't take that long, I guess, in terms of filming and editing. But sort of thinking about it was probably months in advance because it was going on in my life. So you have all of those things. And then when you get to actually producing that piece of content, it's like, OK, well, what are the important bits? What do I want to do? And for me, writing something is just too quick. Um, and you can get it out there and it can go wrong or it doesn't tell people the story that you want to say. So for me, video works because it's because of that process that's involved in there. Um, and, and I think equally, there's very I've said this before on LinkedIn, there's very little depth to a lot of posts. And, you know, you have to balance this between the fact that the majority of the audience don't want all the detail, but you need to give them enough for it to resonate, to, for it to have an impact, for it to be entertaining and engaging and inspiring and educational. There's got to be something there. And there's almost that call to action that says, look, if you like this, I mean, we could do this. We could be really marketing-y with our content and we're not. Um, but it could be, look, here's a snippet of, a, of, a, of an event or something. Um, and if it's inspired you, you know, click here and go and find out more well I mean we just don't do that um but we could do um so I think that you know you've got to there's got to be enough depth um to to resonate with people to get people hooked in but not enough to bore the hell out of people um and that for me video does that beautifully it's a pity yeah. because video doesn't really work on LinkedIn these days the algorithms changed and moved on and um you know back in the day you could post a really good video and it would go bang um these days as as Leah Turner I mean I'm a huge fan of Leah Turner um and you know as Leah said there's a lot of work you've got to do on LinkedIn to make it work for you mm. you've got to be commenting you've got to build community Community. You can't just post and run away anymore. Where you could do that a couple, you know, two, three years ago, you could post and just disappear, and it would still go wild. So, mm. um, yeah, very, very different place. And, I, and these days, I love it and hate it. I go through moments. It's just probably why I don't post as much these days because it's it's becoming. It's be, what's the best word for it? It's be, it's just becoming a little bit. Um, it's just becoming a sometimes it's just a nasty place i just don't want to be there anymore um but i keep coming back to the thing well it's the biggest business to business channel if i go back to my original theory which was you know if i allow people to get to know me then some of them will like me and more of them will buy from me linkedin is still that place if you're in b2b so you, we've kind of got to be there we have got to be there um and i'll come on to that again probably in a little bit because actually leah's on the podcast in a few weeks is she yeah so it'll be interesting to see what how she's evolved in the three years that she's been on on the platform yeah um i want to talk about because obviously your son he's on linkedin yeah um now he he was a huge presence uh maybe two three years ago but again maybe it's the algorithm i don't know but i never see his content anymore yeah um how did when when the the diagnosis came out of adhd how did your family respond was it a case of do you know what mark we always knew 
Yeah, or was it a case of, you know, oh, wow, that's a surprise. How did they react? How did they respond to it? I don't I mean, I don't think it was a surprise to anybody but me, <laughs> in all honesty. <laughs> I mean, it kind of, yeah, and it's, you know, you kind of get the label, don't you, that says, oh, that's what it is. But, um, you know, they lived with me and my inability to focus and, you know, all the rest of it for years. So they, they you know, as soon as they then looked through the list of, you know, what uh, the most common sort of symptoms of ADHD were, they went, yeah, of course, no, it's no brainer. Um, so, um, but the timing was bad in the sense that, you know, my kids were getting to the, the stage where they were moving out and going to university and then starting their own lives. So, um, and, and if, if there's a regret, I guess it's that, that they experienced their dad um, with full undiagnosed, unmedicated um, ADHD um, and not now. And I would have so preferred their childhood to have been um, you know, in a different way, I guess, with someone that did know who they were and and how to, um, you know, get over some of the the sort of the worst symptoms of of ADHD. Um, but you know, I'm I'm also equally a, a massive believer in never looking backwards. Um, you know, there's just no point. I, I'm never one that really regrets. It's all about what's ahead because um, you can affect that and and do something about that. So I I, I rarely look back. Mm. Do you ever see any of the traits in them oh god yeah absolutely yeah no doubt about it um you know no doubt about it and uh, you know they're not um diagnosed but of course you do um there's a there's a strong hereditary link between and i see it in my dad um you know as soon as i got the diagnosis i looked at my dad in different lights and thought oh that's where it's come from. i get it that's where it's coming from um so yeah of course it passes down the line definitely and uh, to what degree um, and, and, you know, whether they want to do something about it themselves, it, that's their choice, their decision. And, and I wouldn't, um, you know, pressurise them in any way at all. And I think it comes, you know, if you start to find things difficult in life, then maybe that's the point that they think, oh, do you know what, I maybe want to do something about this, but their choice, their decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no way convincing my 82 year old dad that he um, should go for a diagnosis. He does not give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what? My... Um... My father, my my mum. Since we knew uh, about Jake, that's obviously changed my wife and I's outlook on life completely. Yeah, because uh, we've lived in a neurodiverse world for eight years now, um, and that obviously made us look at ourselves, me particularly. But my wife looks at; she suffers with quite bad anxiety around a lot of things, and uh, her self esteem's not not brilliant. And we work on that together to try and improve that. Like, unfortunately, I think that's a lot of women that see mums that perhaps haven't been in the working world for a long time and they've kind of lost that confidence that they once had because you know they were they were in that world um you talked before about um the people that you bring into your organization you have to be very careful about the selection process because of the way you are and and the way um perhaps the relationship you have with Liv and obviously even though it works for you two other people may look at that from outside in and think these two are going to kill each other in a minute like do I want to what where do you think it's going wrong in perhaps bigger corporate businesses where people that are ADHD or are autistic and, and maybe haven't even been diagnosed but just see the world differently are just struggling to to hold down jobs what do you think needs to change there? I think it is leadership, actually. I think um, 
you know, we we finding the I mean, you know, find the right job, but it's finding the right person for me, um, especially if you're neurodiverse, uh, because um, that relationship has got is absolutely critical. And for me, it's around leadership. I don't think there's enough um, attention, actually, in many senses, focused on um, breeding leaders. Um, and, you know, for example, in the recruitment sector, we'll all, we always used to promote the person who build the most money. Well, that's not the way to, to do it. That's not a good leader necessarily. Sometimes they are, but often they're not. Um, and so you have almost dysfunctional relationships between managers and 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 the, you know the the rest of the people and so i think actually leadership training coaching um is is essential for as especially as the as the companies get bigger well we've done it we've experienced it ourselves only on a very small scale but you know we've we've been up to about 10 12 people and then you know because of covid and you know all the the rest of it we've reduced so we've come you know we've gone small we've gone slightly bigger again and you look at the people that have have um you know worked at red sprout and um you think actually some of them are natural fits mm. and some of them you know we we got it very wrong you know and 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 um we still class ourselves and you know again all all the sort of content that we put about uh, about our work culture is all genuine and true we do we do have fun but we have fun in our own way you know it's a red sprout way and some people just don't fit with that um and uh, i i think it's 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 important to get i don't want to use the word cultural fit but i think this um because having an eclectic mix of people um who are all weird and geeky and diverse in their own way is so 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 important um and my job as the as the sort of leader of the company along with Liv is to is to try and create an environment where that works for you know for everybody and i think uh, when it comes to neurodiversity and we've got a few um you know it's really important for me to recognize that uh, they need um their, so their attention to detail is probably quite poor so we need to manage individual people in different ways dependent upon how their brain works so we place a lot of store by understanding brains and how people work um and so there are some people that will just want to be in the office all the day all, all you know every day all day long because that's where they they're inspired and they can work at their best and there are other people that would, would gladly work at home all week long and not see anybody and so i think our attitude, and this is the same with that sort of work anywhere, anytime culture for for work anyway, is actually you've got to work with an individual. You can't make these sort of big collective decisions and say, okay, this is the rule for everybody because it doesn't work for everybody. Mm -hmm. So it is about flexibility and, mm -hmm. um, you know, treating people as individuals actually. Um, so yeah, that, that's a, been a massive lesson for me. And I think What's that's in, for, you know, for the corporate world as well is that it's, it gets difficult, doesn't it, when you're a bigger company? Um, but I still think that there is this sort of attitude of of sort of forcing opinion on people and not really giving the individual um, consideration, and that's where things could improve dramatically. What's interesting about what you've just said there is um, leadership, and what I love about your journey, and this may end up being me if I ever decide to take the next step as as you did, you are a business owner, but that you are also neurodiverse. And I think because you recognized, or maybe Liv recognized and gave you the nudge, but ultimately you still had to take the steps. And because of that, you are a business owner that probably um, will 
attract and recruit a more diverse workforce, um, which, as you said, is key to any successful business because you need those different ideas in the pot. But also, and you've mentioned there as well, that you've got neurodiverse people as part of your workforce. Did they openly tell you they were or did you spot it and have that conversation? And I think that's actually been a massive advantage because I'm so open about my own neurodiversity. People come here at interview. It's almost one of the first things that people talk about because they're happy to, um, because they know that it will be received in the way that it should be received. And um, and that's really important for us during that interview process as well, because we need to understand the individuals. The whole point of an interview is really getting to understand that individual and how we as an employer can lead them, can manage them, can um, can you know help them improve to get promotions to work to their best you know that's on us all the time so that understanding of that person and how their brain works for me is absolutely essential um it's not just a case of ticking the box to say we can accommodate i want to get the very 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 best out of every individual that comes to work here so knowing that in advance for me is absolutely essential Hmm. do you think there's an argument that in in business now whether it's senior leadership or the actual person at the top there's so much demand for them to behave in a certain way there's so much demand for them to follow a certain path or as we said earlier fit a mold that there's a lot of masking that goes on there's a lot of cover-up so and arguably because people are more aware of neurodiversity now there if more senior leadership company owners were actually to to go out and explore the the journey that you've been on it might actually then kind of stop them feeling like they have to mask and actually we could open up this whole new world of diverse workforces that don't just fit a mold yeah 100 percent. yeah i mean i think you know it's all it's all um, positioned under this word professional um Mm. and this perception that you know you have to be professional um and you know what does professional apps actually mean you know it's about delivering a really great service but you know and 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 being on time managing projects to make sure that you do do what you say you're going to do it's not how you dress how you act how you speak um it's everything other than that and i think um you know who am i to say andy because i'm sitting here as a small business owner i'm not the the head of a big corporate but um the the world of work is changing and i think um it is i come back to the point i made earlier actually around it's it's treating each person as an individual i think that's probably the most important change that we can make in the world of work and that's not rolling over backwards and adapting and being unfair it's just it comes from that place that says how as an employer am i going to be able to get and this is very mercenary how am i going to be able to get the very best from from my business out of this individual because business is about making profit um how could you know what can i do to improve productivity to get them to be happier to make them better at the work they do um and and every single person is different you know we've got people here I've got two adult kids. Liv's got no kids at all. You know, the the rest of them are sort of in their 20s. We're all a very, very different bunch of people. We want different things out of life. I've got to recognise that just because I come from a culture that said you will sit behind your desk from the hours of eight until six and never will you leave it apart from a small lunch break and even then it's frowned upon, you know, that's got to go. That's part of an old world and I can't think like that anymore. So I think it's also that ability for a leader to 
have a strong look at themselves and adapt and change rather than just be rigid and say, well, it was better in my day. It's a stupid thing to say. You know, it really is a silly thing to say because you're never going to attract the talent um, if that's the sort of the, the position that you take these days. So adaptability, flexibility. I can't remember what the bloody question was that you asked me, but I just rambled on. Rambling's good. People like a ramble. Um, the, the problem I have as a, as a host of a podcast is that as people are talking, I have a million questions firing off in my head. And I'm, I don't write them down because obviously that would be far too sensible to write them down. So I then try and store them in a brain that's working at 400 mile an hour and can't store them. And then we get the situation like we had before, which people listening to this won't have heard because I'll have cut it out by then. Um, but I have remembered this question. Um, <laughs> when you, um, when uh, back in 2019, 2020, when the big announcement came and, and your world was about to sort of change but mainly for you because of how you saw the world. Did you ever worry that potential clients would see you differently in a negative way? Did I worry? No, I didn't because I don't think um, logically. <laughs> so it's just like, and again, it's the same thing. It's in here, it's out there. And yeah. because video, I think at that moment as well, we were producing a lot of video. It was just like, what? Well, it's another video. Here we go. Um, and so, and of course, you can add that depth to it through the process, but it's still, okay, it's up here. This is what's happening. And I'm a massive believer in, um, in, in authenticity to the extent that and this is a you'll know this as well as I do you know you cannot market to everybody because not everyone is going to like you or like the product or like the service or whatever and so if if it pisses a few people off if people don't like me because of what I said if people don't like neurodiverse people whatever I don't want to work with them anyway it's not you know, they're not on my radar um, there will still be a much larger significant proportion of people that will go really like this like the honesty will we you know we can definitely work with mark and the guys at red sprout so no it never ever crossed my mind um and and actually interestingly not a single client we didn't lose a single client we i mean we might have lost clients that then decided that they weren't going to work with us but has it affected the business no not in the slightest good good that's good because i think i i am like you i don't think to myself oh if one day i you know i announced that this I've built such a, a, a great neurodiverse following anyway off the back of unconventional apparel and and, yeah. and the brand in itself, even though we've evolved the brand into a B2B service, which was always the longer term vision so that I didn't have to work for someone else. Yeah. Um, I don't fear that I'm going to lose clients or or because, as you quite rightly said, I don't want to work with anyone that would judge that differently exactly. anyway. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, it's always going to go wrong. You know, we've all had clients that we actually thought when, when we'd onboarded them and we'd worked with them for a while, we think, oh, Jesus, this is this is hard work. Um, and you know, at that point, you think, OK, hold on, where? And we're very self-critical here as well. So we'll always look and think, OK, well, where did it go wrong? And it often stems back to um, money. So actually, we needed that client on at the time because we needed the cash that would generate as a result of that. But if we'd been really true to ourselves, were we on the same page? No, we weren't. And we shouldn't have said yes to working with that client. Um, and so having alignment in in um, client relationships is so, so critical. Um, and, and, and getting, you know, the ones that we work with for the longest times, we just get each other, we understand each other. And in, you know, that's why I'm never scared about saying what I want to say, because if 
it put some people off. We would have never worked well together anyway. You wouldn't have liked us. We wouldn't have liked you. It would have ended in tears. So I'd much rather start on the on the on the you know the the right foot. Social media marketing, because that kind of leads nicely from what we've just said about attracting the right type of clients. You've mentioned that back in the day, two, three years ago, video was definitely more prominent. And and I've noticed that massively. I mean, I used to put out, when I first started, within six months, I was doing these sketch videos where I was playing characters. And again, I think they were probably inspired by you. Not that you did the sketch thing, but your videos were so, were so well edited that I was like, do you know what? I need to, that's that's a bit of me because I like the editing. I quite enjoy that part. I think I enjoy the editing more than I enjoy the actual doing. Yeah, it's, it's quite fun, the editing. Um, it, LinkedIn has evolved and social media in general has evolved. And what I see, very much like you, I don't like a lot of what I see. Why do you think it's gone the way it's gone? Is it is it that lots more people have just, come to LinkedIn because they see it as a free opportunity to build their businesses. Why has it gone the way it's gone? So there's a number of answers to this. Um, you get the, the people that will come to LinkedIn and be, and just because they can, they do. So they'll, they'll their, their posts are all about who they are, what they sell, buy, buy, buy. And we know that doesn't work because no one's interested, people scroll past. Um, but there's still a, a significant proportion of companies and people out there that think that you know, I can post on LinkedIn and I'm going to post and this is who I am and what I sell. Um, and, you know, they're, they're on the sort of what I would describe as probably the early stages of that journey with social media. Um, there's then the people that have really bought into this idea of personal brand um, and and have, have gone too far. They've gone down that rabbit hole that says that they've got to say something, you know, more and more and more shocking or vulnerable or whatever it is just to you know keep, almost keep that um, that, that their, their ego in place and their need for those big numbers coming up, but they've lost sight of actually what they're trying to achieve, which is generate business at the end of the day. Um, and for me, um, I, I still am a, I mean, I've got this personal little passion at the moment um, that, and it, it does involve video, um, is that it can still work. It is still a, um, a strong medium. But you just got to put more effort into it these days. So it has got, I mean, we use this acronym all the time, but it has got to be entertaining, engaging, relatable, inspirational and educational. And if you can tick all of those five boxes in a piece of video content, you've probably got something that will go bang. Um, but it's bloody hard to tick all of those boxes and you've got to put a lot of work and effort into making it, you know, entertaining, inspiration, uh, sorry, entertaining, engaging. That engaging piece, often just comes down to video to the video edit itself um relatable so what am i saying how am i saying it? what words am i using what story do i want to sell um and then you're either educating or, or you're inspiring so what's the end game what am i trying you know what do i want to inspire people with there's a lot of work and effort in that and i think where um, a lot of social, a lot of small, medium-sized companies come to social media. Is they just want to post, um, and so it's almost that sort of anything will do, rather than actually taking the time to say, okay, how do I craft this? Um, and it's the same. I remember from years ago, someone saying um, this health and safety guy used to go around on the circuit and put up these graphs and show the numbers of people of accidents on building sites because people weren't wearing their hard hats. And some marketer eventually got to him and said, that was the most boring presentation I've ever heard in my entire life. Um, let's try and storify this. So tell me a story about 
um, an individual who did have an accident as a result of not having a hard hat on, the impact on him, his life, his family, his kids. And suddenly, the next time he did it, he had an audience who were literally listening to every single word. The same outcome, the same message, wear your bloody hard hat, but the way in which he presented that story, totally, totally different and had the, the audience on the, on the edge of their seat. So, and that's the kind of thinking that you've got to do with um, content of any description these days, because it's getting more and more and more noisy. It's it's increasingly busy out there on social media. And if you want to break through, you've got to you've got to do something different. But that doesn't mean, you know, rip the heart out of yourself and, and tell lies or, you know, um, you know, be that real sort of mega vulnerable person. But it, it can, it, it, a lot of this is around stories. Listen, you know, look at the John Lewis ads. What do they do every year? They tell a story. Um, so storification of, if that's a word, of, of um, your message is where the all of the attention needs to go. And it's like I said about my No Friends video, that was probably months in the thinking, not necessarily consciously, but it's subconsciously. And then the end game was actually the filming and the editing of it. But the thinking it through and the angles and all that's the bit that takes a long time. So more attention to detail, to be honest, and that's weird coming from someone with ADHD. <laughs> I think that the challenge with especially people that are new to the platform, you know, you and I have kind of been around the block with it a little bit and seen the, the comings and goings. But there's more and more 20 second TikTok videos coming onto LinkedIn. Zero effort. Um, super just creative though, some of them, super creative. And I really take my hat off to the creativity. Um, but yeah, I get it. Oh, absolutely. Um, what I'm, I'm, I'm referring more to people that take someone else's TikTok video and then just repurpose that for LinkedIn with a couple of lines of copy. The, the, I think that the trouble we have though is that those videos often go mad. Yeah. And then a well-polished, put-together piece of content that took weeks to create and edit will get half the engagement. And I think that the danger is people look at that and go, well, the, the person that's just posted a 20-second TikTok video, they must be really busy. They must be getting loads of leads because they're getting all the engagement. But the reality is that's not always the case i think that yeah you're right that's absolutely true um and you will you know there are people who will post for the sake of posting get lots of engagement and then there is this perception that oh my god they've, they've gone viral they must be amazing and it isn't true um however i think there is also an important lesson here to say that actually if the tiktok videos are doing well why what is it about that video how can i take some of that creative thinking that you know very short uh, short form video content and actually how can i now bring my message in there um, so that it, it has a better chance. So I think we've got to be, um, yeah, we've got to be able to manipulate what is doing well um, to to tell our story still. Um, and I'm, I'm always obsessed about that. I mean, I'll give you an example. I'm still obsessed about the fact that I can bring short form Casey Neistat style vlog content to LinkedIn. It has to be shorter form. You're never going to get away with 20 minutes or 10 minutes on LinkedIn. But how can you create that sort of, um, addictiveness, that engagement that he would get on a YouTube video, but bringing it into the LinkedIn community. And I'm still trying, and I haven't got there yet, but I'm still trying to find what that sort of magic um, ingredient is to make that work because people love stories. So how can we, how can we sort of create a story, but in a much shorter form? So 
but yeah, I mean, I totally get the the message. Uh, um, I mean, we, you know, we won. That is also to say, sorry, I'm waffling, but that is, I mean, I just go back to the No Friends video, which was nothing to do with work, um, but super relatable to a lot of people. And we won business on the back of that, although it was nothing to do with business. So that's not to say that the TikTok viral video is not going to um, create business opportunities for people. Um, but I think you need to temper your content. Audience building is still an important part of it. But then it's like I used to say when I was doing some um, some sort of talks on the circuit was like you drop in a bit of Barry. So yeah, people sort of sit in front of the sofa and watch Coronation Street and they're there for Coronation Street, but up pops pops Barry Scott trying to flog his sillet bang in the middle. And back in the day before you could fast forward, you used to have to sit through that, um, but you were there for Coronation Street. And so I think that's the way we need to look at our LinkedIn content is look, we'll, we'll, we'll bring the show, but every now and again, we're gonna drop a bit of Barry in there as well. It won't get the same level of engagement, but it's probably the piece of content that will drive the most business through. So yeah, um, yeah. 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 Um, you, you said there that you were waffling. I think waffle's good. Waffle, waffle is good on a on a podcast. It's it's always good when a host gets someone that waffles because it, it I don't have to ask any questions. You basically answer the questions without me even having to answer them. <laughs> um, to finish off, Mark, um, tell us a bit about Red Sprout because it's it's been through an evolution over the last few years. Obviously, you started in recruitment, and now we're we're not in recruitment. So tell us in your words a little bit about Red Sprout, how people get in touch with you and, and exactly what you can do for them. Right, Red Sprout, uh, we, we, we keep on calling it Red Sprout. I mean, officially it's Red Sprout Media, uh, but it, we're now a, um, I think we'd class ourselves as a content marketing agency that is fundamentally digital. Um, so we do a lot of writing for people, a lot of blogs, a lot of SEO writing, um, driving traffic into people's websites. We do some web dev, but we're not a web dev house. Um, and we still do a lot of video work with a lot of people as well, um, but we're also hub spot partners so email marketing um, for us is a big big thing people often put that and sort of discount it but uh, I always I always say look at pets at home email because it is the one email that you want to get if you've got a pet because they're always telling you something new and about your pet and what they're thinking so it's around that personalization of good email content um, and I'm trying to think there's no one else in the office today so I'm trying to think if I've missed anything but that's that's basically we're a, we're a content driven digital marketing agency and the best way to get hold of you or live I guess is LinkedIn probably not because I'm really as you know I'm running yeah, absolutely true. crap <laughs> that is true actually no scrap that <laughs> probably probably email off the website i guess email yeah i would go onto the website and fill in the contact us form yeah exactly because i am absolute rubbish at uh, looking at my linkedin messages <laughs> cool all right well mark it's been an absolute pleasure i can't believe we've actually hit an hour that that felt like about 10 minutes yeah that felt like about 10 minutes but there's a hell of a lot of really good stuff in there so i think people will, will, will take a lot from it um yeah thanks very much for your time mate and, and um we will speak again very soon see you soon mate